Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Please be forewarned, this episode contains a lot of foul language, so maybe not the episode to listen to with your kids. Welcome to 1974 and beyond. This is the finale episode. What's up, Ryan? We're, we're beyond the infinite. Uh, we're here in person, live, coming to you live from Justin's house. First ever in-person podcast we've done in this whole entire series uh, in celebration of coronavirus being over. Yeah, it's over. We did it, everyone. It's Congratulations. Cheers. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, just for those who don't know us personally, Justin and I's bubbles have overlapped for some time. So we have been spending time in person and arguing about music in person, just not conducting this podcast in person. Yeah, this has been like a... Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday night, like evening, uh, kids are in bed, let's talk about the Beatles and Rolling Stones. But today, it's a nice, beautiful Saturday on Orcas Island, and we're going to look ahead after this, after what we consider both bands' primes are safely over, right? They are They are in the rearview mirror, no question. Yeah. But there's good, there is good stuff that comes after, and so this, is, this episode is not going to be like an hour and a half about everything that comes after. Quite honestly, I think Ryan said this last week, but email beatlesverstonespod at gmail.com if you want to tell us about some gem we're, we're not finding. We're just going to share some a few things that we both like that comes out of after that prime, and yeah. then we're going to have some fun looking back. Share those gems, because I did not find them. <laughs> I don't know. Let's start with the Rolling Stones, really. I well, actually, actually can, we, can we start with a question? Like, we'll go with the Rolling Stones, but I feel like the first question that comes to mind is, what is the best post- 1973 album of all of this of all of these these musicians i think it's some girls i was looking forward to some girls as as to be the the really standout of this huge gigantic era and i was a little disappointed i think yeah like as a full thing it's not going to match up what those early 70s records do but when you have the track some girls miss you far away eyes just my imagination beast of burden shattered that alone that's enough that's 
it for me I love all those songs and and like we talked about how they do this thing in the late 60s early 70s this is like kind of like pocket groove delta blues stuff in their own very rolling stonesy way and we talked about how goat's head soup is kind of like an ex- a step out of that in another direction you have to grow everything the world's changing and to me to put out that album in the late 70s it feels new and and like especially miss you it's kind of it's kind of blending into what's happening in in that moment but it's very much still the rolling stones in a way that feels authentic to me I think it's really not far from far behind Goat's Head Soup, really. Did you, so so and, and it was a pretty successful album. The the had you read about the controversy about the album? No, I don't know that I did. So have you I, the the song "Some Girls" has like the ex, I mean Mick Jagger, Jesus dude, he's <laughs> insane with this stuff. It's way too way too many times have John Lennon and Mick Jagger said some. It's questionable shit about <laughs> women and then women and racial stuff. And so he has the middle part of, of Some Girls where it's like... Why girls? That's pretty funny. Sometimes they drive me mad. Black girls just want to get fucked all night. I just don't have that much jam. Not a, not a path to walk down anyway. The guy, the exec at, at Atlantic said, when I first heard the song, I told Mick... It was not going to go down well. Mick assured me that it was parody of a type of person who holds those attitudes. Mick has a great <laughs> Mick has a great respect for blacks. He owes his whole being, his whole musical career to black people. And incidentally, black-oriented radio stations began to boycott it. Jagger told Rolling Stone, Atlantic tried to get us to drop it, but I refused. I've always been opposed to censorship of any kind, especially by conglomerates. I've always said, if you can't take a joke, it's too fucking bad. He, he, it's like, it's like, I love, I like the spirit of what he's saying in that and the no compromise to like the, the conglomerate label, but man, it's a weird battle to pick. It's such a, it's a weird recurring battle for him to, to pick. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that, you know, we're all fans of free speech here, but when you, when you're consistently free speeching in the direction of saying racist hurtful shit it's like it's so and always oh going back to stupid girl and I, I mean it's hard not to see that as the sort of seed of all this other stuff of just like it's just a joke yeah. like it's not funny it's just <laughs> it's just not funny mick jagger and you know um we, we've had a couple of guests on now talk about Mick Jagger and sort of like this is his thing is that he doesn't care and he's so successful that you can't make him care. And I kind of respect that hustle, like whatever. But it, it does at some point become kind of weird of, you know, it's not like he wrote a song that was critical of the People's Republic of China. And he was like standing up to Atlantic Records being like, no, people need to know about the abuses of power of this autocratic dictatorship. It's like, no, I am free to say my racist shit. It's, but it's a joke. It's a joke. It's parody of the type of person who's bad. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's a very weird, it's honestly a thing that I, like we talk, I think we'll talk a little bit about things we learned along the way in this podcast. And it's, it's one like I hadn't gone in hard on they're very much bands that I they're like like the Rolling Stones we've said a thousand times on this podcast are like a mood and a vibe and a feel and a, and a thing and and I and more so than like 
people who's... I go back to the Jackson Brown podcast a lot. That was all about, like, when he wrote this song, he was thinking this, and it makes you feel this. The Rolling Stones are not that to me. Mm. But inevitably, if you're going to go year by year on their music, you're going in on the songs, and then all of a sudden you're like, it's so, it's so funny to, like... He, some of you, you get those sense that Mick Jagger is kind of flippantly writing. He's very good at it, at this kind of like interesting combinations of words and things that that create a vibe. But it's almost like he's not sitting there with a pen, musing out the window, writing them. They probably just kind of come to him like mm. bolts of lightning and become parts of these songs. And then he he then still defends them and is like, "I'm not changing it." I, it's yeah, so, when you could easily replace it with something. If it's so not important and not and meaningless, just use different words that are also meaningless. Yeah. If you parody something long enough, you become the thing. So they have all these songs that are, well, this is just, this is the attitude of someone who like doesn't respect women or is like kind of racist or whatever. And it's like, if you do that for a decade, you might become that thing. Yeah. So I don't, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird spot, but I do think, I mean, some girls, I think it's good, you know, like it's a few years removed from, from XL and Main Street. And I think it's good. And it's I, definitely leagues above black and blue and it's only rock and roll. Those albums are, I don't even want to say they're awful. They're so forgettable. Like, they don't even deserve, like, bad words said about them. Yeah, they just feel like like a, a very, like, a significantly less interesting version of Rolling Stones playing rock music. But I, like, like to, to go back to David, I liked him talking about, like, that's what I was listening to when I wrote the liner notes and stuff. Even after panning um, Goat's Head Soup, which I think is way more interesting, that, this is all, I own some girls in my 20s, too, like... You hear it in the right moment, and it's gonna stay with you. And I like the idea that this like less good post prime Rolling Stones album is like. There are people who probably love that album. It's very was. memorable. I mean, Beasts of Burt. Like, I, I feel like it. It was done a disservice by me listening to all these other like prime Rolling Stones albums, and then like consuming some girls, but. There's been many times where I've heard those songs on the radio, not really thought about the context of them, and it's like, yeah, these these fit into the galaxy of the Rolling Stones. They don't stand out as like lesser songs, but they do after you've just listened to Sticky Finger. Like when you've taken in the 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 audio quality, that that's the thing to me that really stands out about everything post Goat's Head Soup Band on the Run. It's just that the, the detail to the production and like the quality of production for for all of these albums are not interesting to me at all i i my opinion is that um in music production in general in the whole music industry that stuff got less interesting yes that got i mean i mean it became more digitized and everything and i think that probably finds its way to being great much later but in it initially like, I don't want to keep talking about Jackson Brown podcast, but I watched it happen. I mean, you go, these first his first five albums all come out in the 70s. And by the time he's on Pretender in like the late 70s, it's, it's starting to feel a little immaculate in a way that it's like, man, it's a good thing these songs are so good because this sound wise is feeling less like, hu- like a human living thing. Between the longing for love and the struggle for the legal tender 
like to hit lucky for him he makes running on empty after that and it's in hotel rooms and buses so it's like right the 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 format of it almost felt like it went back five years just by virtue of what it was and then he makes it's like hold out in the whole 80s and it's like it's not as i don't i wonder what the reason for that is i got to thinking about that because i had watched this video recently I've been doing a lot of research and I'm interested in recording and and how to get record different sounds. And I watched this video that was like, this is how Paul McCartney recorded his bass on Abbey Road. And it was like specific, it was a guy who's like a bass recording engineer. And he, he gave all these details. It was super interesting where it was like they had a microphone and it was like 10 feet away from the amp, which is abnormal and and he and he basically like did all these things and then he was playing the bass and it was like yep that sounds like paul mccartney on abbey road and also that sounds almost like the platonic idea of bass like you cannot really do much better than that bass tone And then listening to McCartney too, it's very digitized yeah. and it's very these digital drum beats and, and I mean obviously that's the direction that that's the the mood of the album. But I was thinking like, why why ever not use something other than that technique because it just doesn't sound as good. I think the reality is like technology is going to evolve and especially what i will say is regardless of how much i love the albums mccartney 2 and mccartney 3 because i i i like them enough but i don't love them by any means whatsoever i definitely love that those exist the idea that paul mccartney has like a, a recurring series of albums he made that are mccartney 1 2 and 3 where he plays all the instruments that is a awesome thing to have as like a post paul mccartney beatles career and you kind of hear those like sonic production changes over time. Like the what what making an album by yourself in a home studio meant in the early seventies, early nineties, and and like last year is so different. Yeah, I I respect the Paul McCartney output. I would say all three of those albums not for me. I respect it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the dip the change is. In the 60s, in the mid to late 60s, the Beatles and to some extent the Rolling Stones were like driving the sound of music. They were doing things and it was like, now this is the sound and other. And when you listen to these post 73 albums, it all sounds like those guys, the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, any of these guys responding to the sounds that other people are doing. I would I would go listen to the pot like not to say this is great or even qu- extremely good by any means but the last wings album is called Back to the Egg and it's their sort of like kind of take on new wave and punk music a little bit I would ch- I had fun listening to it let me say that I was I was working one day and I had it on and then I started playing basketball in my little hoop in my bedroom uh, it had its place and then uh there was like a, co- a, a collaboration like 4 or 5 years ago weird because this song is called four or five seconds but it's mccartney kanye west and rihanna oh i remember this i love that song and then there's a song called only one which is just kanye west kind of singing with auto-tune and when it says featuring paul mccartney i love this shit this is so cool to me (laughs) this it's it's all paul mccartney's doing is freestyling on a keyboard like the idea that kanye west is going to put out this one-off thing that's not on an album 
where he's almost sounds like he's freestyle singing and McCartney is essentially kind of keyboard noodling. And the whole end of it is like just an electronic keyboard kind of doing its own little thing. And it's, <laughs> it's formless and absolutely beautiful. And just the idea that you'd say Kanye West featuring Paul McCartney and you don't hear shit from Paul McCartney besides him noodling on a keyboard. Very cool. I know you're happy Cause I can see it So tell the boys inside your head to that, that Those are two era giants We've already paid some respect And shouted out some love to Kanye West On this podcast And so that's just really bringing it full circle Exactly um, Okay, yeah, give us some tattoo you And then we'll go to the rest well, of the podcast one, Okay, first of all like I, I want to try to call out some individual songs As far as the, the latter day stuff I don't know if you listened to the song Tops. Come on. Come on. Have you ever heard those opening lines? You should leave down way I would put it in contention with some girls, maybe because I just don't love some girls that much. Um, I feel like they're roughly on the same level. But I was listening to it the other day, and I was really... I was like, who gave Keith a flanger? <laughs> Why is this stuff so flangy? Like, I can't, every time I listen to early 80s Stones and I hear, you, you know that sound I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, totally. And then, the, you, know what, you know where my brain immediately goes when I hear that? It immediately goes to, can you hear me knocking? Like... Dude, you're literally like, I, every time I listen to this song, I feel like my headphones are going to catch on fire. Again, same thing with Paul, the Paul McCartney bass. Like, I understand that you've done this. Just, just do it again. Like, it sounds so good. It yeah. sounds so fucking, what is this? Flangy bullshit tone, like it sounds. It, I, I just, it's not my favorite Keith tone. I'll say that. Yeah. And and yeah, start me up. Like that's that deserves to be a that deserves to be a standout track on a full like actual record. Start me up, like you know, obviously instantly recognizable. Not a great song, but if you hear that, you're. At a baseball game, you like are sipping a beer, just any sporting event ever. I don't know if you have a similar I'm feeling good about it. I'll I'll take it. You that... know, like I'm not I'm not going to tattoo you on my like Spotify and I don't own it in any form. Although I like when I see that when that cover ever crosses my path. But it's uh like I can hundred percent guarantee you it's in the live set, right? It's like if you're oh, fuck yeah. if you're if you're like a like approaching retirement like dentist, you're gonna go buy the three hundred dollar ticket to the Rolling Stones show at like Wrigley Field, <laughs> and 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 start me up is gonna hit that like set list within well, that... the first like seven or eight songs probably. That all right? So let's let's close out the Rolling Stones there and cover the rest of the Beatles guys. Real, I think they're we much we agree. There's nothing. There's nothing else. I think uh, that I think that what I just said about the live show thing, it's those couple of albums, but the Rolling Stones deal after this point is not albums. It's those shows. It's them being like an endless. They did release a, quite a few a albums. A ton, a ton. And you know what? They they like like you just said. There's a 
a song that jumps out on almost all of them. Not Emotional Rescue, unless I'm, <laughs> maybe I'll go to it later. But there's a song that jumps out on almost all of them. But it's really about like this, like these guys were like like in their late sixties playing the fucking Super Bowl, you know, like it, and there's and if we didn't have a global pandemic, they'd still be playing this past year, and maybe they will be playing soon. Like it's kind they, of insane. I mean, I'm, I'm that's convinced. their deal. They will be playing until they die. Like they will keel over on stage, and I respect that. I salute, yes. salute you, Rolling Stones. It's Do what good. you love. It's good and it's trailblazing. Uh, I don't. I, I'm sad to report beyond. Uh, I, I actually watched. I have nothing Ringo wise. Um, I watched except no. I watched like a. My dad watches a lot of like TV concerts. Like he has like this channel on his like cable package that is just like constant shows on on like live things, and he watches these I things. Love it's your like dad. <laughs> yeah, he's like dude, just like check out this Cat Stevens performance or something like that. <laughs> and it's and it's. Uh, I watched a Ringo one with him once that was really great. I liked it. And it was like, it was, it was a fun, like, and, and it like reinforced the thing we've said many times is that people love Ringo. Like people go to Ringo. I have nothing in terms of albums or specific songs. Quick story about that though, is that I did, there was a show, I think it was on IFC. I don't remember. Elvis Costello had a show. This is just a random thing that I saw on TV one time where he had a show where he would bring famous musicians on and they would just talk about music and they had like a full gear set up and they would play songs or different stuff and the one of the ones that i watched was elvis costello interviewing ringo star and the really interesting thing that i that i learned from this was ringo was talking about how the ringo obviously is famous for being in the beatles but for having a, a simple sort of drumming style but it's it's Something is slightly off kilter. Simple but interesting. Something is slightly off about it. And the thing about Ringo is Ringo's left-handed. Yeah, cool. And so, but he plays a right-handed kit. And so if you've ever played the drums, there's a certain sort of map around the kit where you're doing a fill and you're you're hitting the hi-hat, you're hitting the, the snare, and then you're going to sort of the rack toms and then going to the floor toms, yada, yada. But because Ringo was left-handed, who's playing on a left to a right-handed kit, this led to all these sort of different patterns and fills that he would do because they felt more natural awesome. as a lefty. And I was like, like, yeah, that is way cool. Okay, some this just unlocked an explanation of like this je ne sais quoi about Ringo. Like there yeah. it is. And so that's my that's my story about <laughs> watching cool. Ringo on TV. Awesome. All right. So good. Ringo, we love you. We love you, Ringo. You're done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, did not listen to any Ringo albums post-1974. Yeah. John, obviously, it's kind of insane. We're talking about a bunch of stuff that like was like at its most pivotal in the 60s. And it's insane how long these careers go and how long these lives essentially last. John Lennon is the exception to that, right? It's a much shorter path, which is for, for very sad reasons. Um, the main one, the main one is double fantasy. And my feeling is for me, for me, at least my main feeling was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say I love, or even really, really, really get into double fantasy, but I think it has a lot more to chew on than like mind games that we talked about last week. It's like, I, I find, I find meaning and personality and, and like truth in it in a way that I, I found not nearly enough truth in mind games. And I found more truth than I wanted in sometime in New York city. You know, I'm definitely fascinated by the idea of what 
I both am fascinated by what would have become of John Lennon and, you know, I guess there's no world in which that wouldn't have been a better... Like, we kind of laughed at, like, Van Morrison and Eric Clapton earlier in the series. <laughs> Still there's a scenario. There's a scenario, like, John Lennon, I love him. There's a scenario where John Lennon's, like, like into QAnon or something like that. There, that, where there's John, that, yes. Where John Lennon's very, like, problematic on Twitter or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 John Lennon's a legend. I love him. It's very sad that he was killed. I think he's straight up a genius, but yeah, I don't. I want to say it's actually, it's a positive thing that we're talking about this range of possible. You know what I mean? Like who knows? You don't know. Who he, knows? And that's, that's like kind of, that's a testament to him. That's, I think what he wants to be, right? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's just a tragedy all around anytime an artist's life is cut short by that. I just, there's not a great track record of people from the 60s creating awesome music after they turn like 40. You yeah. know, that's just not a great track record. Yeah. Uh, all right, so our last guy is George. Uh, honestly, all I have of George is Traveling Wilburys. My family had this CD in their little upright vertical CD uh, case collection. Listened to it a lot in my household, and I love it. So that's the super group with Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, George Harrison, and the guy from Electric Light Orchestra. I, I feel like if I had had that experience, if the Wilburys were, were a part of my family, I probably would have fond memories of it. Coming to it as someone who's like a jaded... 30-year-old music critic type person. I'm, I'm very jaded towards it, and it's, it just sounds like a bunch of pampered old white guys singing nonsense. It is, and it's and, and doing it in the late 80s, and yeah. But here, here's what's funny about it. We're talking about it from the perspective of Harrison. Harrison, like, Harrison in that moment, he's like the impetus, him and Lynn are the impetus for starting Traveling Wilbury. So, like, you get a ton of credit there, but... Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, and Bob Dylan are two of the most I-don't-give-a-fuck cool... Three of the most yeah. cool... They're just cool. You just look at them and they are so damn cool. George Harrison actually honestly isn't that to me. I, I agree. I <laughs> totally not. agree. He's in it and he's good and it's like a good thing to be there. He, he's, he deserves to be in a super group like that. There's no discounting his merits in that way. But he ain't as cool as those guys. For me, in my life... In my Dylan, Dylan is such a a cut above the rest of as from a coolness like not maybe not in the late '80s, Dylan, but like in his life, like he he is a cut above I, the rest of those guys. Uh, I would say as an artist, yes. As a in coolness, Tom Petty is about the coolest person I can think of. Yeah, and Roy Orbison's I just think, chilling in his yeah. He is. And, I don't know anything about Roy Orbison. I love that the Traveling Wilburys exist, and, and yeah, that album, it feels like an album that comes out in, in the late 80s, but it's, it's, it's cool. Like, and and I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm sorry, this is why people should feel free to email, it's like, I'm not going to listen to every George Harrison album. You, I need some curation done, I was happy to like take the like full plunge in, dive year by year of these 10 years, but to take one week and go... 40 years with all these artists ain't gonna happen so there's probably some great george harrison stuff in there and you know you ain't gonna get it here. this is really like that's that's perfect and i think this is a great way to sum up this segment this part of the conversation for me for ryan everything post 1974 there's some highlights there everything not bad not for me just 
Traveling yeah. Wilburys, any of the McCartney stuff, any of the latter-day Rolling Stones stuff, with a few exceptions, which even, the, like, again, those songs are catchy. They also almost all border on annoying. Not not for me, there, especially compared to the 10, <laughs> 10 years we just went through. There's a reason this is a limited, highly produced podcast series that spans a decade worth of incredible music and not something like i could actually not think of anything more hellish than going from now through like november like talking about like the albums that these <laughs> members put out in like 1986 oh my god dude that or, is that is know? a vision of hell that and, is probably our own personal hell like when we die and we go to hell for cursing so much on this podcast that's going to be there like, all right, and next up we have uh, Black and Blue from the Rolling Stones. Yes. And let's be honest, these people are all legends, geniuses, people we love, and that's why we're doing this podcast. But, you know, like, it, like I think you quoted uh, Lester Bangs or something. Like, these people, you usually get th three, four, five years of kind of white hot, like, like culture-defining art, and these people did it for far longer than that and in a far more impactful way than most and continue to make cool stuff after but it ain't the same as that 10-year period so yeah let's so let's we just talked about uh like thinking back on that 10-year period so we're gonna go back to that now so we're gonna this next segment is gonna be us like we're gonna be reflecting yeah and we're gonna hit ourselves with some like question prompts so yeah. i'm actually amazed that we had that much to say about the, the future <laughs> so we have a lot to say about a lot of things yeah Okay, I'm here with a very, very special guest this week. His name? Ryan Page. It's still me. <laughs> it's just, it's, just, it's so just us this week. Nobody this is a, cares about the minutia of the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones nearly as much as we do. Yeah, so you've you've probably heard some like cans crack open during this. We're in person. We're having some drinks. This is a finale and a celebration. And uh, yeah, so let's. what we're going to do now is we're going to do some like... We got some categories for ourselves. Ryan's going to kind of give us little prompts and we're going to answer some of these questions. It really, it, it spans the whole entire career of these bands. So it can exist with like outside of the podcast series we did. But I would venture a guess that almost all of our answers are going to be stuff from those 10 years. Yeah, you, you've probably heard us talk about a lot of this stuff before. I do want to give a shout out to our fans and listeners of this podcast. You guys have been super good sports. This has been so fun to do and engage with and think about and made me realize how much I've thought about and how much other people have sort of experienced. This is just a part of our life. You know, we're talking about these two bands music. You can minimize it if you want right? Like you can just sort of like, yeah, these are bands from 50 years ago and they had a big influence on pop culture. They don't really matter anymore. To me, they matter. They, they matter, matter to my life. And yeah. And, and it's been, I knew that already, but it's been like a gift to like have one day a week to be like, oh yeah, tonight's the night where I get to talk all about two extremely amazing bands and collections of artists and what they did in one specific year in the sixties or seventies. That's just like, like, you don't get that kind of opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I also just want to say too, you know, we, we have a lot of fun and we're pretty off the cuff with some of this stuff. Please don't take it personal if we say something mean or we told jokingly. Our, we told ourselves going in that we were going to allow ourselves to shit on things. We, we should understand that like we, like, 
John Lennon and George Harrison have more like like uh, cultural impact and artistry and like their pinky finger than we have. But you know, the world needs critics. We're both we both are equally in love with that kind of world and. You, you know, this we're, is... we're very aware of that, but also you guys wouldn't want to listen to this podcast if we were just tiptoeing around people's feelings all the time and not having opinions on things. This is just, these are our opinions and we're it's, being honest about it. It's worthless if you just sit and talk about every single thing in that period being amazing, including like 15 of the tracks on the White Album. Yeah, but that's why it was amazing last week when our guest David came on and has specific re- well first of all if you listen to nothing else on this podcast please go listen to that 15 minute long interview just um, unbelievable stories and when he asks why do we have a podcast and he doesn't we do not have it we, we're sitting over here asking ourselves the same question like, because dude, i don't know we're fucking peanut gallerying the gallerying some bands that like did their thing 20 years before we were born and you're like touring South America with Paul McCartney and Linda, <laughs> you know? So please actually Dave, you should start a podcast, David, but okay. Well that, that, that'll lead us into some of our categories. Okay. So first category, Justin, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch these questions to you okay. and I'll let you answer first. So then I'll give my answers. Um, the album from either band or actually, let's do from each band. I did both, yeah. Yeah, let's do from each band. The album from each band that made the biggest jump in your estimation. Yeah, the biggest jump for me, kind of by a mile, and it's really weird. Because what's funny is like the concurrent album that is a dump is going to be the other band's album this same year. But Satanic Majesty's Request oh. jumped. That jumped a ton for me. Have you seen her dressed in blue? Like, weirdly, it might be the week-long listening period where I was, like, voluntarily wanting to go back to it. I probably might have listened to it the most. I, it jumped a lot. That might have been my answer if I hadn't already been kind of fond. Yeah, you, you came in loving it. As I, I, I found, I, I think I loved it even more after go, going through this process again. But the biggest jump for me for The Stones was from also from 1967, which was Between the Buttons. That's the one that I've been wanting to, when I've, when I've, you know, as much fun as this podcast has been, we always have a little bit of homework. And anytime someone makes you listen to something or makes you watch something, you're going to kind of pull against it. And the thing I've, I've consistently found myself being like, I don't want to listen to this. I want to go listen to Between the Buttons again. That's cool. And what's cool about that is like same year, but because of all the psychedelia, we gave that like real short shrift on the, on the yes. podcast. We, we did, and we acknowledged it later on, but I, I yeah. think that, that and that that's just a, a banner year for everyone all around. It's not even including Flowers that came out that year, so yeah, yeah that's a fun one. So okay, now, so now Beatles, Beatles, yeah. Beatles for me, it's tempting to say it was Rubber Soul, because I really enjoyed that week, but the answer for me is Let It Be. I told you so, all I want is you. 
was caught off guard by how much I liked Let It Be. I think I was, I think there was some just sense of like, Let It Be and Abbey Road recorded around the same time, re- released in reverse order. Let It Be is like the sort of less pretty child. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it was about a matter of expectations or something, but I, I that I was, I, I loved Let It Be and, and it, it went up for sure. So the album for me, for the, the Beatles that made the, the biggest jump, this might surprise you because it's actually an album that I relentlessly shat on. Beatles for Sale. Oh, that was cool. one that I ignorantly asked you, Have you? did you even know about this album beforehand? And you were like, yeah, <laughs> duh. I loved it. I nearly died Cause you walked hand in hand with another man I, I was not very familiar with it, and I, I have definitely, you know, some of these things that's influenced, I, I, I feel like for like Abbey Road, and for me, Let It Be is a similar thing. I really enjoyed it. I'm just too familiar with it. Like, it, it's impossible for it to like move very far in one direction yeah. or the other. And so just not knowing that album very much, I, I was, it was like finding a, a time capsule where I was like, oh, Look at all this you, you Beatles get, stuff that I didn't know about. You get this extra early Beatles, like, Ascent period album that you hadn't gotten. Yeah. Okay, so now let's do the albums that took a dive. So the biggest the album drop-offs from what you had remembered them as, and then listening through this process, which albums? It's, it's insane, honestly, that... Like, the two that would be in the category for this to me would be Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's, which probably people say are their best ones. It's an, And I definitely don't feel that way, but the answer is Sgt. Pepper's, like, which is, mm. is on the opposite side of Satanic Majesties. I spent that time, and like I represented the Beatles that week and just was like, man, there is, some, there is a, a kind of groundbreaking vision here, a big, beautiful product that I deeply respect with some incredible songs... But, like, man, there is a lot in there that is extremely meh or actively bluff. I don't know. I didn't think Thinking of Good Morning. Yeah, yeah. That's actively bluff. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Revolver for the Beatles, uh, which is crazy because I, that was what, my second draft pick? For this yeah. year, I went Exile on Main Street year for the Stones, and then I went to Revolver. I'm not saying Revolver's bad. I'm just saying... Realist- Essentially, everything we're talking about in this is good, which is why the podcast is yeah. like warrants existence. Yeah. We're not saying Sgt. Pepper's is bad. We're not saying Revolver's bad. I'm just saying that in my mind's eye, when we went into this, I thought of Revolver as probably the best Beatles album. And, and I guess maybe it more speaks to the fact that pretty much everything else stayed where I expect, I knew, I knew what, I mean, I've listened to Revolver many times. I know what the White Album is. I even, I, like what you're saying about Sgt. Pepper, that was kind of already my yeah. impression of Sgt. Pepper. And so if, if it's, if I, if the answer is Revolver, it's, it's merely because putting it in conversation with Rubber Soul made it abundantly clear to me that Rubber Soul I, is the one. Like you think of the two together, 
I'll take Rubber Soul all day long. And I love Revolver too. I love all Yeah, those. it's still good, but that's just that that's the one in hindsight that's that's gone down a little bit. Okay, what about the stones? Stones were a little more I have low expectations for the stones early and high expectations late as this sixty four to seventy four period goes. This feels a little like cheating, but the biggest dump was get your yayas out. Get your yayas Me out. Me too. All right. Get, get your yayas out was is It was very disappointing. I'll never go back to get your yayas out. Like cool song selection, whatever, but like if you want to hear the songs on Get Your Yayas Out, listen to Beggar's Banquet or Let It Bleed. And and then honestly, listen to the horribly recorded uh Got It Live or whatever it's called. Yeah. From like with with too much crowd noise and craziness. But if you're looking for like live crazy spastic Rolling Stones live energy, just go to that and go that ain't bonkers. back of my mind I was like this is like the energy is there the attitude is there I'm looking forward to get your yayas out where I'm imagining better sound quality yeah. but all that energy but it's like the energy yeah. like the energy feels less maybe because of the better sound quality or something but also it you've heard versions of these songs it recorded in like this extremely intimate beautiful way that you just, they don't, I don't know, they didn't register register to me in this process, and I just don't need it. And what's what's hilarious is, like, we spent the that first Rolling Stones live album talking about how horrible it sounded, <laughs> and then by the time I got to get your yayas out, I wanted it back, and that's the one that I discovered I own the record of. And, like, yeah. now I'm going to go back to that, that record weirdly has, like, had a full life cycle for me to where now I'm, like, pumped that I own that record. <laughs> well, sometimes you just need another record to put it into context. Yeah, I don't, I can't fully say why Get Your Yaya's Out was so just, and also just its reputation, because of all these out, al- like, I couldn't name you very many live albums in the history of rock music, just off the top of my head. Like, and that's oh, a huge, yeah. that's a huge yeah, one. Yeah, it's a well-known one. The cover is iconic and beautiful, which a yeah. Pantheon podcast uh, host shot that, or like, design that cover which is pretty cool also i have to make a quick correction which something i thought about pitching for this episode which we will not do is like errors and omissions which are manifold throughout this podcast (laughs) we know we know we're imperfect but last week i said that goat's head soup was the first album cover with just mick on the cover and technically get your yayas out okay is also has just mick on the cover all that feels like kind of like cheating um, okay, next category. Favorite Ringo song? Mine is Don't Pass Me By. I listen for your footsteps coming up the drive. Listen for your footsteps, but they don't arrive. Waiting for you not that's a good choice um i have not i i i definitely stumped for that song and, and, and yeah you stumped for it and i i, I think you might have said it along the way but it's his first like 
solitary solo writing credit in the whole Beatles catalog, which is cool. I do love that song. Um, the one that has stood out to me and that I've like been annoying the crap out of my family singing all the time um, is Act Naturally. They're gonna make a big start out of me. Not not a Beatles original, but just R Ringo owns that song, and he almost takes it away from Buck Owens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's the one that's been sticking with me. Okay. Next question. Next category. Who had the best post Beatles career? Um, it's Paul McCartney for me. No, that's that's just nail in the coffin. Um, that Wings album alone. I found a new love for the like like very fuck you stuff he did right out of the Beatles that was I love when a thing <laughs> there's a line there's a line in the movie or in the TV show Friends that you know I love Friends I got to play <laughs> Friends is probably the Paul McCartney of TV shows Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> And there's yeah. a line where someone's like oh yeah he was like he was not understood in his time like he was respected later and like the character Phoebe's like Oh, I want to be misunderstood in my time or whatever. And like, 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 and, and I, like, I love the idea that Paul McCartney makes these couple of albums that are just like, what the hell is Paul McCartney doing that are respected now and weirdly extra relevant and they make some sense now. It's like, there's a sign that that person is operating out of the, the, the confines of that cultural moment and I and Paul McCartney as a person who can be extremely corny I just love that he did that after that and he makes the Big Wings album and I mean it's not a fair thing like I don't I'm not like inclined. it doesn't have to be fair there's nothing fair about the, the, the reality is Harrison and Ringo were never gonna beat McCartney in that and John Lennon died like seven years later so so what it's not really fair, but it's going to be Paul for me. I will say that I probably have the most respect as far as how Paul carried himself post-Beatles and the choices he made, even if I didn't enjoy some of those cho choices. For me, it's actually a three-way tie. I put them all on the same level and that they all made one masterpiece and everything else is pretty much take it or leave it. I like it. Give you us have, give us give us those masterpieces. So you have Plastic Ono Band, All Things Must Pass and Band on the Run. And like I would put all of those on a very for for my personal enjoyment, they're on very similar levels. And so and everything else is just like bonus here and there there's a song to be enjoyed yeah. whatever. Um, you know, traveling Wilburys for Harrison, like that kind of like, that, that's a, it, it can be as good as it wants to be, but even still, that's not just Harrison. It's not a masterpiece. It's not though. like Harrison and the bands he's, and the people he's collaborating with or, and it's not a masterpiece. Harrison is weirdly, even though he's one of the members of the Beatles, Harrison is at best the third most yeah. influential person in, in traveling Wilburys. Yeah. I mean, that's just his lot in life. Right? Very, like, very always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Except on All Things Must Pass. Yeah. Like, All Things Must Pass is the, the like, you just mentioned those three, and I actually love that answer. But, like, 
all, all Things Must Pass kind of indisputably is the most important of all those. If I was going to make an argument, it would probably be for Paul McCartney just because he also has Ram, and that is an album that I really enjoy. But I'm thinking of it in terms of masterpieces, and like there's like three masterpieces here, and they each made one. And yeah, so, like and, I, and actually, I'm I'm like very happy that they did, you know. Okay, uh, next category for the Rolling Stones, best non Keith Richards musical part. So another another like compliment I want to give you is like you you illuminated a lot of like the Brian Jones role to me in this band, and so like I basically the mellotron on she's a rainbow mm-hmm. that he plays mm-hmm. and the marimba on under, under my thumb they are they're not solos they're not they're not the kind of they're not like hot dogging type things you know <laughs> but those are so massively important to both of those songs that it, it's two but that that mellotron yeah. and she's a rainbow and then So one of our uh, the the next one of the next categories we're gonna have is about the best cover songs and my original answer for this was the marimba on under my thumb. Well, I mean I just love that song, but I, I decided to change my mind because that's almost like too obvious or too important. But the point I want to make is like I listen to multiple covers of under my thumb and it's just like. What the? None of them have a marimba, and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, you got it. This is essential to, and it's also why that song sucks live. Don't ever play that song live, because without Brian Jones playing marimba, it is pointless. It is not a good like that part makes that song. But because I felt that was too obvious or too of a. you know, straightforward of an answer. My answer is the tuba on something happened to me, which is, is, go go ahead. He's not sure just what it was or if it's against the law. Something. I just, I love that song now. It's on between the buttons. I've I've recently discovered it, and it's just so, like, do we know who plays said tuba? Are you ready for who played the tuba on Something Happened to Me? Billy Preston. Mr. Brian Jones. Oh, shit. Fucking Brian Jones! Oh, yeah, that's cool. Ah! That's really cool. That is so good. That is really oh cool. Oh my god, that is so good. Keith the, Richards, you could never. You could never. There, there's there's so I mean the Stones, the Beatles as well. Although I have to say for the Beatles, a lot of the non-main Beatles moments for me 
are Billy Preston, Bill, like, when thinking about this question, I could, like, my answer for the Beatles would have definitely been Billy Preston on Get Back. Get Back, Joe. Brian Jones. That's what? cool. That's really cool. I love that he's he is basically responsible for all of our non-Keith. Yeah. On Something Happened to Me, he plays the trumpet, the tuba, the trombone, and the whistles. I, I think there's a case to be made that, like, although the Rolling Stones' run of best albums starts in 68 with, like, Beggar's Banquet and goes through Exile... They're kind of the biggest songs happen right before that. Like, I mean, the, there's a big song on every album besides Exile in those next few years. But like, literally, Satisfaction and Under My Thumb and Paint It Black and all that Paint stuff comes before that run. That's really weird. And that also is like, and that and that is Brian Jones era. It is weird because like we all like we being music musically critical people, we think of like. The four, or if you're Justin Cox, the five. <laughs> right. I'm a little obsessed with that. But when you do look, like we've talked about this whole time, like the greatest, the most listened to songs of the Rolling Stones is Paint It Black. And Brian Jones is an essential part of this band. And we just talked about like, what would happen if John Lennon didn't die? Like, yeah. what would happen if Brian? What would happen if Brian Jones wasn't a malignant narcissist, who, <laughs> like, I think this happens with some musicians. I think this happened to George Harrison a little bit, where you're so good and you're so talented a musician that you get bored of music, yeah. right? And I wonder what would happen if Brian Jones, like, just was content to be Charlie Watts, and just contribute to songs for like you don't have to like reinvent the wheel just contribute yeah yeah i don't know i love i i actually really love that we organically both it's it tickles me i also like it's 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 extra beautiful that yours was not known you just loved that i did not know that you just loved that too apart i i i love that song i love keith singing on that song i the the beautifully imperfect the the thrillingly imperfect as Rob Mitchum describes it, which we've had some great guests on this podcast, some of whom have left some like unforgettable to me, like I will forever reinterpret some of these songs in the it, vein. It of reinforces our it reinforces all the stuff we've said about the value of criticism. Like in criticism not meaning like negative uh, feelings about something, but just thinking about how it fits into the culture and like these are some super smart people it's been a joy to talk to them and their excitement their yeah. their readiness to talk about like it it makes you feel this stuff is not dead it is living it is breathing there's new stuff to discover here there's new ideas and things to find in this stuff it's very exciting and at, and as two millennials like talking about like music from the 60s and 70s like you should know that like if sticky fingers and exile and main street from two of our guests are getting a 10 on a website called pitchfork which might be a thing you've never heard of 
that is a extremely huge there's a ton of meaning in that for a generation like the generations that follow you that is that is generations that follow you telling you we this is important it's yeah. it's and and like we've been lucky to have them on this yeah we have we big shout out to all of our guests on this podcast all right oh. i think i think we have two more categories two more. and then we're going to draft so Ryan and i are going to draft a mix cd each if one takes a song off the table it's gone but we have to draft it draft it in the order of the track listing so yeah. so save that okay well that's we'll going to that. come that's going to come it's coming up all right uh two more categories uh first first we'll call it three best beatles cover song best version of a beatles song covered uh, I think it's indisputably the Joe Cocker with a little help from my friend. That doesn't even count. The, I'm not even including here. that. Like that's that's like such a good song. We've we've covered that. What's your backup? All right, uh, little known bad uh, band from the Pacific Northwest called Bad Dads does a cover of Twist and. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> You're going Joe Cocker. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. That, um, I also like you lent me a record one time of the of the Feelies, which is a band I didn't know, and they have a uh, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. I forgot about that until just this moment. That might be better than the original version of that song. Um, I have a couple of these. So a couple honorable mentions. Honorable mention number one, Stevie Wonder's We Can Work It Out. Great, great totally. take on that song. Um, there's a video on YouTube of Paul McCartney, a tribute to Paul McCartney at the White House performing for Obama, for Barack Obama, the president at the time, <laughs> um, doing a bunch of different, a, a lot of different songs. And Stevie Wonder is there and performs We Can Work It Out. That's a great version of that song. Uh, the Black Keys version of She Said, She Said. She But I have to go with the best Beatles cover song. You already mentioned a relevant person before. Wilson Pickett's yeah. cover of Hey Jude. I, th- I agree with that. That is such, like, okay, so we, this gets into the, the basis of what makes a good cover song. And there's, like, a dichotomy here, right? Where you want it, you want some faithfulness. You don't want too much yeah. of a stray. But you have to have an... You don't want you gotta just... Spin, you got to spin it. So like yesterday I was listening and I listened to uh, R. Stevie Moore's cover of I'm Only Sleeping, which is fine. It was very competent. But it was just the song. It was just yeah. the same... 
I'll just listen to John Lennon. Like, why do I need to yeah. hear you sing this if it's just going to be the same thing? Wilson Pickett, it starts out. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. It's different enough. It's still like kind of the regular song. And then at the end of the song, it just kicks in a fucking fifth gear. And then Dwayne Allman, Hell yeah. fucking Dwayne Allman comes in. It's not like the original version of Hey Jude where it just like goes on and on for 10 minutes. It's just like 60 seconds of the na na na's with Dwayne Allman shredding up and down the bass. And and yeah, that's my that's my pick for that, I think that's a good pick. That's an indisputable pick. But I will say you literally gave no reason for why Joe Cocker's cover of With With a Little Help from My Friends is is like doesn't even count. And that, that should tell you everything you need to know about that that cover is in another stratosphere. I will try not to sing out of key. Yeah. Oh, baby, hallelujah. All I need is my brother. I say I'm going to get So if I'm not including the Joe Cock, if I'm not including with a little help of my friends from Joe Cocker, is that just that's a runaway? And we already talked about that song. And I like, it's it's the definitive Beatles cover. Hell yeah! Like everything else, it's up here. It's essentially the only cover that supplants the original. Yes. Yeah. There's no that's other the like Hey Jude from Wilson Pickett. Fun song. I love it. It doesn't. It doesn't touch. Paul McCartney singing Hey Jude, whereas Joe Cocker playing... He basically created the action, like, that's the one you think of when you hear of... Exactly. Exactly. And and you want, if you listen to the Ringo version, which again, I like I, I, I've gone on record on this podcast like five times, but I want to say it again. I like the Ringo version of that song. I enjoy it. Um, when I listen to it, I'm yearning for Joe Cocker's it's, yeah, it's craziness. Um, okay. Best Rolling Stones cover song. Um, the answer for me is the Towns Van Zant cover of Dead Flowers, which plays mm. at the very end of the Big Lebowski when they're, they're like kind of bowling montage, bowling yeah. pin montage. And it's just this extremely stripped back, super slow, live, like one take country version of Dead Flowers. Which Take me down, little Susie, take me down. I know you think you're the queen of the underground. Send me dead flowers every morning. Which, dead? It's it's like exactly what you want in a cover, where it's like he adds he adds nothing. All he does is take away from Dead Flowers, but in doing so, kind of explains to you how incredible Dead Flowers is. 
And I didn't talk about Dead Flowers that much on the Sticky Fingers episode, even Love though it. it's my favorite song on Sticky Fingers. So I'm glad to like have this moment. But like, Dead Flowers is is it kicks ass. We I, we I, did not mean to like disrespect like. There is so much dead flowers love. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that and between between what that cover is and that moment at the very end of the Big Lebowski, it's like perfectly used in film and it's it's just great. I will say that in my research on this, I was like when we said, when we said, what's the best cover songs? Like, there was a couple Beatles covers that immediately sprung to mind. The Rolling Stones do not lend themselves to covers, I would say. There's a lot of them, um, and I listen to a lot of them. Most of them pretty bad. Yeah. Most of them just not interesting or just the original version of the song. I, I was pleasantly surprised or I enjoyed how many classic blues musicians had come like buddy guy mm. and all these guys that had covered the rolling stones which that's, felt like a kind of that's beautiful I, I i enjoyed that um honorable mention muddy waters version of let's spend the night together which is just is fine like it's muddy waters i'm rubbing my head and my mouth is getting so dry Dishonorable mention. <laughs> Rage Against the Machines version of Street Fighting Man. Did you listen to this? Can't be good. No. It, it sounds like someone created an AI algorithm of like Rage Against the Machines and then fed Street Fighting Man that into it. Horrible. It's it to be bad. It's really bad. I'm going to go with my favorite, uh, well, I, the Town Fan Sand, that's a good choice. There was a couple of live versions of people doing Rolling Stone songs that were fine, um, you know, enjoyable. I really like Ike and Tina Turner's version of Honky Tonk Women. I have heard that. And I, like and, and I love this because Tina turns it into I'm a Honky yeah. Tonk. There's like some relationship there where I think there's even some Rolling Stone songs that are specifically about them. And, Anyone, maybe, and yeah. maybe even about the abuse. And yeah, shit. there okay, so I wanna like acknowledge and like a, like set aside like Ike Turner is like a son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. He's totally. a piece of shit. I understand that. I love his guitar tone. I don't think there's a standout. I don't think there's really like a jumps out at you covers. There's two more categories, and then we're gonna do our draft, our our our, our song, our song draft. Is people have been wondering? We've listened to ten years straight of the Beatles versus Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones, you guys take a breather, sit to the side. The question people want to know is Paul or John. 
George people, we love you. We've enjoyed your presence. We respect you. Take a, take a breather. <laughs> You've spent 10 years listening to album by album by album. What is your final... It's an extremely hard thing to answer. Um, I came away basically thinking both of them were more brilliant than I thought coming in. Ringo brings his his thing and George brings his thing. But the reason the Beatles are the Beatles is because those two people end up in that band together. It's like the 2013 Miami Heat. Like, <laughs> what? How do you get these two guys in the same band? All right, real quick. Let's say LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, and Chris Bosh make each of them Beatles. Also, farewell to any listeners who are bailing out at this point. We'll do this. We'll do this quickly. But all right, so all right, so I should I should answer. Okay, but this is this is totally fair because do you know what the nickname for those teams were when they formed up? No, the Heatles. Wow. So, hundred percent appropriate to be making this basketball reference right now. So to me, to me, the LeBron James, the the one I like most is, it's very hard, but it's Paul. I love this. <laughs> I love this because coming into this, I would have been there. I would have if 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 this was ninth pre nineteen sixty four. We're doing this podcast. I would have been with you, and it's John for me. It's John. What? Tell me about that, like, journey. Tell me about So, that. like, especially doing this process, which we're about to go through of the draft of, like, we're going to draft these songs. That's a good point. I actually I haven't, realize I haven't correlated these two things. So. The, so, Paul, I mean, in my life. In my life. <laughs> I have always considered myself a Paul person. Uh, you know, when you said, it's as annoying as it is, when you said you would take Merry Christmas Wars over over simply having a wonderful Christmas time, I stayed silent. But my the inner child in me was like, no. I've always loved Paul McCartney. I've always appreciated those songs. I've, I've I enjoyed his cheesiness. But going through this process, angry... John is the ultimate, like those songs, when John, even going back to Beatles for Sale, when John is like pissed off and he's like spurned, it's so much better than the Paul stuff to me. I, I, I actually agree early on. I think basically Paul McCartney would probably, probably would have made some absolute bullshit without John Lennon. You know, like... Honestly, like over the process, you get to, yeah, I don't know. I d I will I'm not say, trying to talk you out of it. No, hell no. I don't. I, I won't be talked out of it because the thing is, <laughs> when John does when John does stuff that is bad, it's extremely blowhard. It's excruciating. It's bad. It's really bad. And when Paul does things that are, that are bad, it's like, it feels like all right. This is corny. But Paul's doing Paul. You, you know? know, and that's the thing that I'll say about Paul that's different from a lot, from John, from like John, good guitar player, 
like has interesting guitar stuff but also like compared to other guitar players of his era not that distinguishable whereas like paul as a bass player <laughs> you're laughing right now so i i've written sometimes for this this like punk music website called the hard times and they had a headline one time that said <laughs> i don't care how many hits he wrote Paul McCartney is still a fucking bassist, and I will never respect him. <laughs> That's amazing. So, you know, okay, so this also brings me back to this whole podcast. And I was talking to someone recently, and I was describing this podcast that we were undertaking, and I was saying, you know, we're, we're going this 10-year period, and we're going Beatles versus Rolling Stones, and who you got, who's going year by year, and this person asked me, okay, well, like, who won? Who who won the podcast? And I looked at them and I said, we did. We did. We did. That's it. That's, that's I love, it. I, Period. I, point blank. I definitively love both of these bands more after doing this. Absolutely. Like, they're like... They're flaws. They're essentially more like alien geniuses to me than I thought. Especially the Beatles. I will say that. I don't know... But the, but the thing is, the last four years of it, and then like the little like addendum is like Goat's Head Soup, but the Rolling Stones are fucking gnarly at the end of it. Like, the Rolling Stones are amazing. So this brings me to the last category before our draft, which is we've done the process. We've gone, we're, we're not going to recap year by year who won each year. You guys can go listen to the episode. If you've made it this far, yeah, there's no if you're looking for a summation, go listen to the episodes. Each year is very clear who had the best. There's not, honestly, surprisingly, there's not very many years in contention. It's usually pretty clear. And, and you get to year. gather what we think, but you also get to choose for yourself. You make up your own mind. The question is, who won this 10-year period? And what does that mean? And what do we think about that? And I don't know. I, I've asked you. I've I've pitched all of these questions to you. I will put my. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And and obviously the, the Beatles versus Rolling Stones is not a new question. That's been covered on many think pieces and podcasts or whatever. My frame of reference. My frame of mind is. If you put the 20 best songs of these two bands together, it's neck and neck, and maybe the Rolling Stones win. That's my opinion, is that if you take the 20 best songs, this Rolling Stones 20 best songs might be better than the 20 best Beatles songs. If you take 21 through 60, the Beatles wipe the floor with the Rolling Stones. That's a good way to put it. That's my my perspective, my opinion. Yeah, I was I was ready to go fucking nuts. <laughs> until until you said the 20 through 60 part, I was ready to fucking blow my top. <laughs> but the way you put that's probably right. I'm not like, saying the 20 through 60 Rolling Stones songs are bad, but that's that is this argument. Like we've talked, we've done, we've 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 covered this already. Like the Rolling Stones are cooler. They're cooler. 
like throughout their history, what like they they have more cachet. What, like the the Beatles in their moment yeah. were the biggest thing on earth. Yeah, good on the Beatles for pulling it off, but you guys are fucking dorks. You're dorks. Like so, like Ringo versus Charlie Watts. Like Ringo, you're a cool guy. You don't have what Charlie Watts has, yeah. and, which is and, and 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 you know there's all kinds of things that go into that. But when you're talking a, about that's... a career, an ovure of of songs, it's so hard to argue with the Beatles. Yeah, and not not to mention like the head start they had. But even I don't know, there was such iconic stuff that came after the Beatles dissolved. Yeah, no, it's the answer is the answer is the fucking Beatles though. When you mean the whole, the big picture, 10 years, every, it's how... Rephrase the question again. The question is, who, we just went through 10 years. 10... It's the fucking Beatles. It's the fucking Beatles. It's the Beatles. It just But, but the thing is, is, again, but it's not nothing. The 20 best Stone songs stand up... Or are better than the twenty best Beatles. I do think that yeah, the really highs think. that the the Stones reach are be- like when I the feeling in my chest when the Rolling Stones get going, it, it's something else. Yeah, it's different. You want to compare the whole catalog? The Beatles catalog is unassailable. It's but not. Yeah, yeah. You want to compare the highs? The Stones are right. They're looking them right in the eye. Yeah. All right. So the, well, I think this is going to bear itself out in the next segment, which is going to be us drafting an, um, a, a 10 song mixtape, basically, of these bands. And the thing that's fucked up about it is <laughs> not only not only are we drafting these songs like in like sort of like my first pick in the draft, which would be like your LeBron James. That's also your first song on your record. So it's like. You have to decide how to make a 10-song record where you draft your most important thing first and then take something off the table someone might take later, but also include both bands. So we're going to make 10-song mixtapes, and then, Ryan, are we going to have these on Spotify We're going to put these up on Spotify um, we'll link. To, we'll link to them in the show notes. Anyone who cares about these bands, trying to limit yourself to 20 to 10 songs, 10 songs apiece... We're... This is painful. We're building you a, a listening experience. This is not. This is not forty licks. This is not Beatles number one. This is. This not, is Justin this is and Ryan's creating experience. you a ten song experience in in the form of a draft, and neither of us know what those are going to end up being right now. And honestly, you've had enough of your music determined by a fucking algorithm. So like, let these two dingleberries determine for exactly. you. Exactly, and. Feel free to email us at BeatlesVersusStonesPod at gmail.com to argue about all of the songs that we left off of this 20-song compilation. Boom. With the first song in the inaugural and final Beatles vs. Stone podcast draft, I am pleased to pick first. I hope you guessed my first song. Cause I'm in need 
Next song, Justin. Your All first right. song, track one on my record is "Back in the USSR." song shall be Norwegian Wood. that i feel like you 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 had mild actually you like appreciated their growth but i feel like you had mild respect for it i love norwegian wood i love that song i feel like it's a great song number two i think it's um maybe the best song number two of all time you know you know what i love that song this has been a little bit of a recurring theme in this is appreciation for track two I, I I like you and I both love like the craft of like the like narrative arc of a record, and I think track two is hugely important in that. And my track two is Love in Vain, which is also a track two. When the train It's track two on Let It Bleed, and while I wouldn't say it's even in probably the top 20, like, Rolling Stone songs ever, it's it's about the best you could do for a track two. It's so sick. And the thing is, we're, we're, we have this, like, difficult task of, like, balancing Beatles and Rolling Stone songs, and, like, coming off of this kind of live feeling of of back in the USSR, you can come down to Let It Bleed. Yeah, for to, sure. To, to that song. I, I always, like, so we've talked about how I, I am I am a mixtaper playlist maker and the patron saint of those activities is John Cusack in High Fidelity. And he ex- describes at the end of that movie about how Track one has to kick off the album, but track two has to kick it up a notch a little bit. And uh, I, I like where I like where you went with that. Okay. I, I'm honestly curious at this point if we're going to be able to do this whole exercise without it, we overlapping might, the song. We might. The thing is, the thing is, I have a, it's like, you can be straightforward about this if you want. 
I have a crop of songs for both bands, but I also have an ideal playlist that if 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 it goes without changing, I'll just go with. Okay. That's, like, that's I great. I hope I hope that happens for you and I hope it happens for me. Okay. So I have Sympathy for the Devil. I have Norwegian Wood. My third song um on my album. Hmm. I'm gonna take Tumbling Dice, Rolling Stones. <laughs> That's a good drive three. That's a damn good drive. <laughs> I'm not fucking writing. I'm literally No, taking... write them down. Write them down. This I is can't... good. This is helpful. This is a visual... This is a visual cue. I'm giving this okay, shit okay, to, to you. I don't do this I'll shit. I'll write it down. Like, I literally... Look at that. I scribbled shit. Like, there's no there's no words This written. is great. This is great. I'll, I'm happy to be this person. This is how I work. This yeah, is how I, yeah, I work yeah, at work. Yeah, yeah. You be this... You be this script. Um, I'm glad I'm glad tumbling dice tumbling dice is there because it wouldn't have been on mine. I love tumbling dice, but it wouldn't have been. This this feels a little bit like an unpopular opinion, and it's a like severely undiscussed song because it wasn't on one of the albums. And this this is great. Go go ahead. Go. Ahead. I like I like the idea that this like podcast like focused on albums. But we can work it out is an amazing song. Ooh! And I'm I'm making like I like the idea of track three being like an extremely catchy song. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? While you see it your way, but the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. Like, uh, you've gotten back in the USSR. Yeah, it's catchy in its own way, but it feels like track one. Love in Vain is a deep cut by the Rolling Stones in its, like, extremely slow, plodding, bluesy way. Then you get We Can Work It Out. It feels like you're single. That's where I'm at. I love it. Um, and also, I feel like at this point, with three, you're going to get side B track one, okay? You're mm-hmm. going to get the first pick on side two. Um, good choice. Not Stevie Wonder version, right? We're clear on that. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So track four for me, I am going to select Nowhere Man. Nowhere Man, please listen. You don't know what you're missing. Two rubber songs. I love it. On sure, yeah, side that's one. Big straight, respect. That's big, big respect. That's big respect. Oh yes, rubber soul is. I I am unabashedly in the rubber soul camp. Put it against any of these albums. Yes, I'm I'm heavy on rubber soul, and there's more. There might be more rubber soul to come. It's possible. It's possible. As I say that, like, 
let it be is like the thing that gained most favor or whatever like you tell me i can only have one album by this band it's it's probably gonna be a rubber song. yeah okay side track four track side f- one all right track four side one um my choice is under my thumb fuck God damn it. I hate you. You know that's a good You've you've stifled me. You've yeah, I blew up I blew up. You blew up my draft order. Okay, that's fine. Last song, side one, I'll choose Wild Horses. in the similar spirit like like at the end of side one your move is to like burn out all sensors and so you can do that in the form of a ballad like wild horses or you can do that in the form of happiness is a warm gun And I think we both loved that. Like, I do. Happiness is That's a good gun. choice. No, I, absolutely. This is, okay, this is an impossible task. Mm-hmm. To, to boil down the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones into two ten-side, ten-song, two-sided albums is impossible. We're doing the impossible, but we're doing it anyways because we love our listeners. Because we're heroes. My side is back in the USSR, love in vain, <laughs> we can work it out, under my thumb, happiness is a warm gun. Ryan will read okay. his side. Side A is sympathy for the devil, <laughs> Norwegian wood, <laughs> tumbling dice, nowhere man, and wild horses. But here's the thing. You all want to listen to this mixed record Way more than you want to listen to Forty Licks or the Number One. Yeah, you don't want to listen to that shit. Like those are that's like you, that's like you that's like someone taking a fucking Fred Flintstone like <laughs> baseball bat to your fucking head. Like this is this has more this has more intellect than that. Okay, Justin, you get to go first. Side two. All right, we have flipped the record and we are hearing Two Thousand Man. Good choice. Okay. 
Justin has selected 2,000 man. We have flipped the record on my side, and we are hearing Revolution, the single. Like, isolate the two. I, okay, so we didn't really talk about this song much. Love this song. It never gets old to me, ever. The production, everything about this song, the attitude is just... Mm. I I am so excited to be kicking why, off side Why two. is it why is it better than most John Lennon overtly political songs? It's confused. It's 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 saying a lot, but it's also saying like I don't really know. Yeah, I, and and just the opening licks. Me, bro like what do you what what else do you want from like the beatles like we talked about chuck berry riffs and it's a little stealing from that it is but it's kind of weirdly like it's kind of slow motion in a way that's like deliberate like in a way that feels subversive or something it's that may be so i also feel like we have been very reverential to chuck berry on this podcast rightfully so like salute you chuck berry but i will say like chuck berry is not the end all be all and this feels like some somewhere in the like chuck berry wishes he wrote this song yeah it's true and and so but he elevates the style 2000 man is also a great kickoff that was on my list all right. That that song is amazing. What are we, but what are they going to be impressed with on track two of Justin's Blackbird? Blackbird. All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to be free. Blackbird, fly. Blackbird, fly. Dark black night. Okay. I'm a big I'm I'm very big on like take it down a notch on track two. Yeah, I can see that. It's a it's a big thing for me. It's a recurring thing for me. Okay. Track two. I'm going jumping jack flash. I'm not taking it down a notch. I'm taking it up a notch. What you It's not taking No, no, you've it's, already you've already besmirched Jumpin' Jack Flash, it's not Mr. Cox. Any, it's not taking anything off my table, so good. Okay, track three. Sweet Virginia.
Justin's going with a a little more stripped down, a little more. No, Sweet mellow. Virginia was always going to make my top ten of this. I love Sweet Virginia. Sweet Virginia, as I've said, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it the thing that I tell like people to listen to if they want to get into the Rolling Stones, but I think essentially by my sensibilities, the best Rolling Stones song. Okay. Um, in the name of not uh, my side, my side too. We're not slowing things down at all. We're Go, we're baby. pushing the accelerator. We're pushing Go. the gas. Your blues track three. penultimate track to me is maybe I'm I have gone out of the Beatles out of the Beatles and Stones uh, career for the first time Justin's amazed. I have so many choices here. The thing is, what if we've alternated tracks, here's something I've realized is that alright, so the Rolling Stones have these final tracks that work as amazing final tracks on songs, but they're not my favorite songs. And then the Beatles have uh, a day in life, which is the perfect final song. I'm I I just picked a Beatles song to be maybe I'm amazed. Like to me, a day in life is the best final song you could pick. It's your turn, so you you pick what you want to. Okay, pick. this is an enviable position to be in. I have so many songs that could fit right here. I have amazing songs that I want to shout out. And, and give a call out and, and so many things, but we're here, we're now. I have I cannot finish this this section, this playlist without paperback writer. This you, my... you you gave it its love too, like yeah. May nineteen sixty six. It is so good. Um, all right, Justin. All right, I'm you gonna... have your final song. I'm gonna I... re- I'm gonna read out my playlist and end with my song. Okay. All right. Side A. Back in the USSR. Love in vain. 
we can work it out under my thumb. Happiness is a warm gun. Flip the record. You got 2000 Man, Blackbird, Sweet Virginia. Maybe I'm amazed. And then you get your last track. It's not a last track. It's a track two. I thought about like like uh, I thought about some final tracks because the Rolling Stones have them, and I want to give them like equal billing. But I'm giving it to Sway. is a track two and it's kind of like a sleeper track but you can spend five minutes with sway and like really wind down that record too you you have put me that that is that is an amazing final track that is unpredictable i think it works there that is i think that definitely works i struggled with it like i thought about giving it like you can't always get what you want but it's like no why i don't have to do that the rolling stones already did that they did already do i that. can i can give it to this like honestly both of our playlists i would i, I actually not only would i listen to these i fucking will listen to them <laughs> okay so i i have been given the benefit of having the last song on this so then i get to pontificate on all of the songs that i will not choose yes that is Sway was on my my list, but I would not have picked it for the last song. Um, okay, I think I know what I'm gonna pick for the last song. The one of the ideas that I had for the last song that didn't end up was Hey Jude, which would be totally worth it. Excellent um, last song in my life. Also in my life or a day in the life. It's so it's so good. Like both of those. It's like it kind of hits on a thing that you can't put your finger on, but both of them button up. They 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 button up like a collection of songs in a completely different ways. Yes, um, I w- I would be happy with both of those. I'm I'm gonna go a little bit outside of the box with this because that's that's my deal. Um, I found out was a song on my list that I was gonna put on this playlist that I I didn't end up. But just, I want to give a shout out to Plastic Ono Band, that album, if, if not for Between the Buttons, like that album really went up in my estimation. I was surprised by it. Um, Get Back. What's your final song? Layla featuring, featuring George Aircraft. <laughs> 2,000 light years from home. Turning I needed a Satanic Majesty request on there. And I don't know if you've listened to that song recently. It fucking kicks. And it's a great 
last song. There's there's many ways you can end an album, and you can end with like banger. You can end with a deep cut. You can end with like something weird, and that's what you're doing. I respect it. I I actually like. I I swear to God, I will listen to these two mixes. These are two. These are like two mixes that are like. Hey, you want to listen to you want to meet the Beatles and Rolling Stones, but not be told like, here's the exact things that everyone would tell you to listen to. This is these are good mixes, and then flip the record and uh, you do it all again. I, I, I hope you guys enjoy the like. This is these are really like Justin and I's personality. Yeah, that's like it. we we tried to to do this and. and I, I'm sure there's literally a hundred songs. There's a hundred songs that we could pick that would say, you know, about the songs that we like. This is an imperfect time capsule. Oh, no. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are listening to this, you have made it to the very end of the Beatles vs. Stones year-by-year podcast series. Congratulations. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. We had a ton of fun making this podcast. Hope that you've had a ton of fun listening to it. We are so grateful for our fans that have reached out to us and sent us encouraging words. Um, This podcast is the brainchild of Justin Cox. This was his idea. He put this together uh, so go follow Justin at Routine Layup on Twitter and uh, keep an eye out on Justin's Twitter and on this feed for future projects that we will collaborate on. We are planning on doing a final post-finale episode later this year after Peter Jackson's Get Back documentary comes out discussing that documentary. So stay subscribed to this feed um, to get that episode. And then any future projects that we work on, we'll put a little link or a teaser into this feed. If you want to listen to the two playlists that we created at the end of this episode, there are links to those playlists on Spotify in the show notes. Do feel free to email us at beatlesversusstonespod at gmail.com to give us your opinions on well, anything Beatles versus Stones related, um, but also if you need to chime in on who had the better playlist draft, um, we would love to hear from you on that. Thank you again to all of the listeners of this podcast. Um, you guys are a great bunch of people, and we look forward to creating uh, more fun podcasts for you guys in the future, so stay tuned. And with that, for the final time, we are out of time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 